Welcome to Season 4, Episode 8 of the Coaching Badges Podcast, brought to you with the support of our good friends at PlayerStat Data. Thanks for joining us tonight. We really appreciate the support. As always, my co-host Mark Anderson is with us, just back from another holiday. Always good to see you, mate. On the show tonight, the usual news and war chest items, along with a brilliant guest, a legend of Gaelic football, Dublin GAA star, Philly McMahon. We really enjoyed this chat. So, Mark, to kick things off, what's caught your eye in the news over the last few weeks? Very interesting. I'm actually just back from my holidays, or vacation, as we call it, as they call it in America, where I just overindulged in American sport. And I, I revel. I just I just love it. I, I, I'm very lucky, and I'm in a very privileged position. I get to get to America every so often on holidays, and, and I just love and I immerse myself in, and I mean this in a very respectful way, the fucked up culture that is in America. And I spend an awful lot of time watching the NFL, which was the season's kicked off, and I just immerse amazes me the money the wealth and just how that whole thing goes off and i just like i mean i know people a lot of people don't like the sport they find it boring but three and a half hours on a thursday night seven hours of uninterrupted football on red zone on a sunday is just absolute bliss and you don't have to have a real vested interest in the team so it doesn't matter so i've been watching a bit of that and watching the college football but there's a little there's something i would give people a little bit to keep an eye on in college football there's there's a coach called Dion saunders one of the best players that's ever played the game who's now coaching at colorado he's on social media and he's on various different platforms and i would just check him out because his story is very very interesting and his approach to coaching and so i've been watching a lot of his stuff um out there so yeah he's very very interesting but um we're also in Ryder cup season or time of year which as i as as we record this and watch on watching europe absolutely spank america which i didn't think that was going to happen but that could turn very easily a sport that i never played but enjoy watching the Ryder Cup for some bizarre reason and that's been very interesting uh, it, it's always find the dynamic of that really really weird like uh, Europe against America and that whole team thing so that's interesting to watch and there's also all the little backstories that go on the way the way the Americans can never seem to perform as a team more individuals uh, individually if you look at the lineup so much better players but as a team the Europe just seemed to be able to pull pull things out of the back and then of course a big shout out to another sport which I don't really watch and I have various mixed feelings about for different reasons but the Irish rugby team were we're just performing at a level that, for those of them in football, wish we could match. And it's no coincidence that professionalism, the money and the investment, and you would have to say leadership in that sport, has dictated and made us one of the top nations in the sport that's worldwide. So you just did that. I say this all the time. I have great admiration for people within the IRFU and what they've done. And you have to ask yourself, why can't we get it right in football? Um, so, yeah, so that's that's those things. And then, of course, uh, the Irish ladies team who came to book the trend and are performing absolutely phenomenal great results there recently against Hungary away and Northern Ireland at home. So, and, and they're playing with a freedom that they didn't really have on the Vera Pau. Now, I have conflicted opinions on this. Player power seems to have worked very much with the Vera Pau situation. I don't know the full ins and outs, so it's not fair to me to comment, but I just find it very strange that one of only three managers in all of Irish sport, Irish football, that got us to a World Cup hadn't had our contract renewed for whatever reasons, and yet we would judge our men's soccer seemingly on a different level. Although we'd be hear the rumours of Stephen Kenny or may finish at the end of this term and people like Steve Bruce coming in. I don't know. I really don't know. I just sometimes despair. Jesus, some great stuff there. There's so much good sport on at the minute. If if you're a sport fan, it's phenomenal. I'm also watching the Formula One, which is crazy. I got up at seven o'clock this morning to watch the golf. I don't even really play golf, but again, I'm like you I just get hooked into that kind of Ryder Cup thing I watched the ladies team the Irish ladies team during the week played some really good football in fairness to them uh, mm. and a good win against Hungary away and scored some really good goals but you're right I, again I know very little about rugby but I'm just interested in the whole rugby world cup uh, it's it's 
an interesting one in that obviously there's not maybe as many countries play the game as football. So, you know, there seems to be, you know, almost three or four tiers of teams at the World Cup. And some of the games are a little bit non-competitive, but it's also good to see the emerging teams playing each other and seeing how the standards are coming on because they've bought into the whole coaching yeah. ethos, which I think is really interesting in terms of how you develop a sport. But uh, yeah, no, as I said, loads of good stuff there, mate. Uh, certainly a weekend full of football, both participating in, in our own games and watching and spectating. So uh, a good time of the year. League of Ireland season winding down uh, in the next couple of weeks. So uh, coming to the business end of the season for lots of teams. So that's been very interesting to watch. Just yeah. interesting you say that the League of Ireland. It's, it'll be very interesting to see what happens next season. I think Rovers will win the league this year, but next season promises to be very interesting, especially if you're a Shamrock Rovers fan. Um, you've got a team that's probably aging and needs reinvestment and a team that needs probably a new direction. And I'm not saying about change of manager or not like that. And with all the noises around Shelbourne, who could become one of the big spenders for next year and Damien Duff putting it out there that he wants to push on and do more with them. It'll be very interesting to see what happens because there's a, I seen, seen reported there during the week that budgets for next year for Rovers about who they spend and what they spend and what they have to spend will be judged at the end of the season. So if I was a Rover fan, I'd be a little bit cautious about uh, what next season could promise to be and Shelbourne could could really step up there. The league has probably been a bit more competitive because I don't think there's Rovers have probably been the standout team, but they haven't been consistent. Um, so and Shells have pulled off some great results. Bows have have really done strong. I think maybe their squad depth has let them probably really, really challenge. But it'd be very interesting to see next season if Rovers don't have the money to invest or if they don't invest at the level that they would have done in the past, where they'll go or what will happen. Absolutely. And more than probably most leagues in Europe, a small injection of money into an Irish club can make a massive difference. Yeah. So you've seen over the years when, you know, at one point Cork City were riding high, a huge investment in the club. Dundalk at times. Uh, Derry at times now Rovers for the last number of years you know much to the likes of Merrow's delight have been flying but now all of a sudden you have Shelburne and there's new money there so it is amazing that you know when when money goes into a club it's no coincidence that if it's invested properly in in the you know the resources and the coaching and the infrastructure it does make a difference so yeah I think you're absolutely dead right it's been a really competitive Premier Division this year along with the First Division but next year promises to be even more so so yeah we keep a keen eye on that but yeah look Look, lots of really good stuff, mate. As I said, I don't know what to be watching after this. I'm going straight back to the golf and a bit of football this afternoon. Games tomorrow. Just plenty to keep us occupied. And uh, we'll keep, certainly keep an eye on how the various <laughs> tournaments pan out. I suppose, Gavin, one thing it would, be, it would be a bit remiss of both of us to mention, but I have to say a very, very special out. And I am absolutely so proud to see Andrew Moran at Brackburn Rovers just lighting things up. A nicer kid, pro even at his young early years. Yeah. And an incredible talent. Absolutely delighted for for a kid that, well, I won't say it, some people thought was too small and wasn't the right position and wasn't yeah. wanted. But he is just a talented, talented, with a great family and a great support around him. And I really hope he goes and keeps pushing the way he is. He's doing incredible. And he's gone into a, he's gone into a division that's difficult. And he's playing football. And he's doing it his way. And he's having great success. So along with a lot of the great young crop of Irish players, but especially special answer to Andrew, because I know Yeah, no, that, that's, that's, that's a great show, mate. You're absolutely right. And he books the trend, thankfully, in terms of players who weren't physical growing up. And you're dead right. Lots of people would have looked at him and said, God, he's way too small. 
but technically as good as I've seen in a long, long time. Fortunate is enough as well to be surrounded by very good people, as you mentioned, and at both a decent club setup and also a very decent Irish under-21 setup. So playing with very yeah. good players around him. So credit to the likes of Jim Crawford and the work he's done there. He, he's done a great job with that group of players and I enjoy watching them play. It's nice to see an Irish team really, really trying to play good football. So yeah, good shout. Uh, great stuff, mate. We'll leave it there. Moving on to our guest slot on every episode, uh, we tried to bring people on to offer a different perspective on a subject, just in an effort to share, learn and grow. We're delighted to be joined tonight by Gaelic football star Philly McMahon to talk about the lessons he's learned over his amazing career and the brilliant work that he now undertakes in his social programs. So welcome to the pod, Philly. It's absolutely brilliant to have you on, mate. Really appreciate you helping us out. Philly, before we get into a few questions, you might just give the listeners an overview in your own words of your sporting journey to date. Yeah, well, I suppose my initial sporting journey started off with soccer. I apologise to people that don't like the, the word soccer in this country because ga people love calling ga football. But uh, I started off playing soccer and uh, I played for Ballymun. I was actually Ballymun Town at the age of six or seven. And then um, I suppose then I started playing for Ballymun Kickhams um, when I got recruited from my local primary school, Holy Spirit, where I played mini leagues. And a guy called Paddy Christie, who was kind of a famous Dublin player, came along and was recruiting kids for his football team. And I suppose that was a crucial part of my journey because he would he went on to coach me up until the age of uh, 21, um, from that age, from maybe 10, 11 up to 21. So huge sporting influence in my life. And I suppose when I was about 15, 16, I got the opportunity to go on Dublin development squads, play two years minor, two years, 21, in which one of them I was uh, the captain. That was Jim Gavin's first year managing under the Dublin under 21s. Uh, made me debut for the Dublin senior football team in two, 2018. I was just 20 at the, at, the, at the age of 20, 19, just gone on 20 in September. So, and then, yeah, I played for Dublin senior football team for 14 years and we won a couple of things along that way. So I retired in 2021 and just playing little bits of football, actually, at the minute. Soccer, let's call it. I'm getting you, you back. <laughs> yeah, so playing a bit with Tolga Rovers at the minute, uh, loving it, played last season with them. And uh, it's great to be back playing the sport I first played. Brilliant. That, that's fantastic. And funny, you know, for our Irish listeners, they'll certainly be familiar with it. But so many kids that we've seen over the years, you know, grow up playing Gaelic, hurling, soccer, rugby, you know, a bit of everything. And then, uh, as you said, you know, as you maybe get 15, 16, 17, you might start to specialise a bit more. But I, I think even I'm still involved in, in soccer. And I'd say a lot of the kids that we have still play other sports and that. And I think it's it's great. Just before you go, because I have to ask, if you're playing football now with Talca Rovers, I'm willing to bet you're on at least one yellow card a game. <laughs> at least you know what? Give you a good one, right? I, uh, I play, we were actually going for the league at one point and then uh, we lost a couple of games. But anyway, we were getting beaten 1-0. I think it was Bluebell we were playing and... I got fouled. The ref, let's say, was having an off day. <laughs> and, uh, the ref was in front of me in the sideline and the the Bluebell player hit off him, went out for a throw. I ran over to the side, uh, over the sideline, grabbed the ball. I got openly, I got my shorts pulled in front of everybody. Everybody thought it was a free. I picked the ball up, I put it down on the ground to take a free, to get the ball up the other end of the pitch really quickly. And the ref blew the whistle. And I was like, "What? It's a free!" Like, and he's like, "No, no, no! It's a throw to the opposition. It's a throw. It's a throw to blue belt." And I was like, "Is this fellow fucking real?" Like, and anyway, I picked the ball up and I volleyed it away. <laughs> and he gave me a red card. Like, I was, like, and in my head, I was like, 
not really selling off in football. I haven't played in that long, but is it really selling off when you kick the ball away? And anyway, I got sent off, gave me a straight red, gave me a few variables walking off the pitch. And uh, I just said to myself, geez, I don't know about this now. <laughs> I don't know about this part. <laughs> yeah, the game is sanitized probably since you were old, old habits die hard. Funny, anciently, I, what are the refs like in Ga in terms of you giving them a bit of lip? Did they take it or did they shut you down pretty quickly? Um, in Gal, like, like uh, in the county level now, it's... Yeah. Like, obviously, I'm not going to come on here and slot the referees, right? But <laughs> in uh, in Gal, like, the referees at senior level in the county level are quite good. The odd one that you kind of go, oh, that's a mistake. But they all make mistakes. But they're quite... They're, there's so many eyes and they're quite good. Yeah. And, uh, the referees, I would say, in the Atristi League, top, le- top level Atristi League, I think they there's a lot of in the league right now about yeah. them and um and they maybe need more support externally there because it's uh it's definitely something that is conflicting culture there in the, in, in that in that sense and that's probably passing down then all the way down and then there's this thing where don't give out to us our union and we'll we'll rebel and we'll go and strike yeah, 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 and then yeah. so you need referees that's that's the crucial part but i suppose my spin-off is they need more help i mean it's interesting you say that you're probably one of the few people i've heard that say that they actually need more help externally from people to help them uh, whereas people yeah. just hammered that they're all shy and everything else and it's, yeah it's a great so, point but yeah. i think sadly I, and I don't know what it's like in Ga. I, I know certainly in rugby there seems to be a healthier respect for the officials, but in soccer, it's we. I think we've let it get to a point where it's it's you know a free for all. The players feel that they can abuse the referees because some of the language in the electricity leagues towards the refs from the players is shocking. And I know they make mistakes, but it can't help when everyone on the pitch is effing and blinding at you every time you make a decision. So I think I think you're right. I think there has to be better support there in terms of how we educate the players in terms of what's acceptable or not you know right down to the kids because you see the kids at it in in football now and they're going around moaning at the ref and all they're only kids literally so i suppose monkey see monkey do you know what i mean but but i think i think that's changed over over the few years that i've been working like i've been working in professional soccer since um since 2012 with rovers shamrock rovers you know but yeah. like the kind of the variables between players and referees certainly in this country has, has definitely changed you know and i think it, it all comes down to like you know it's the chicken and egg thing like yes there's a cultural thing from the players thinking it's an, it's acceptable to be able to do that but also it, it comes with mistakes yeah yeah sometimes it doesn't come with mistakes some sometimes players just think they can do it but there is there is that uh stimulus that creates that variables like, i'll give you an example with balls one of our key things in 2021 a little bit into 2022 was we said to the players, right, we have we we were working on our mindset, uh, a mindfulness program we had built in. And we were saying to the lads, right, we have a style of football that we want to play. We want to play fast flowing football. So as soon as we get a free in a certain part of the pitch, we get the ball down and we move and we get back to our strategy. And what we said was we identified that at certain times when players were fouled, that other players and those that player maybe particularly were given out to the referee. Means it's slowing the pace down, slowing the game down, and taking your mindset off what you should be doing. So we said to the players, the only person that speaks to the referee is the captain, Pete Buckley at the time. And uh we'd done that for a good part of the season. Our football was like constantly flowing, it was very expansive, top goal scorers. We were we were flying like we we're we, every so it was very easy to build in something like that when everything was working well, right? But I remember walking across the Daily Mount and there was a, a linesman who mentioned his name. But I remember chatting to him, walking over to the change room and I said to him, can I ask you about, do you get any variables off the Bowers players? 
have you noticed it after you know any of the games you've done? Have any of them, you know, being mountain at you or anything like that? And he says, you know what? Think of it, not really like. I was like, okay. Uh, I said, look, because what we're trying to do is we're trying to get the players to respect you, not because of who you are, but because we need them to focus on what they should be focusing on. And um, like, it's it's what what's very interesting for me now that I'm not working with balls anymore. I'm not in the Tristy League right now. Is that I don't even think they recognise that respect. I don't even think certain referees in particular didn't rec. There was still things going against balls. There was still things happening, and you're kind of going, I'll just go back to what you. Players are just going. What's the point? Yeah. If if another team is going after the referee and it's making the uh, referee decide a certain way, we should be doing it. So it's hard. I think what you said there, though, but I, and this is why myself, I, I've spoken to you for years and, and, and you've always fascinated me, especially around your mindset and about some of the stuff that you've picked up being in the teams and everything else that you've been involved in. That simple little message to give to a player, that's like gold dust. And it's about that process. And if you get at the end of the game, you go show some video clips of, look, Look how much more progressive we were. Look at the opportunities we created. Look at what we do. And you're giving them tangible benefits to that. That changes the process. And if they stick with it for a period of time, it just becomes natural to them. And it becomes a different way of playing football. And it becomes their identity. Um, and I think it goes back to the original comment when you said about rugby gaff. I think the biggest difference in respect, because I don't buy into this, it's a class or a cultural thing, is the referees in rugby explain more or might do and explain more of their decisions. So it's a little bit more black and white, and it's hard to argue with, as opposed to, don't talk to me, I'm the ref, and that's my decision. And did the VMO in the, in the, in the stand. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, it's very factual, and it's very like, this is what you did, this is what I'm punishing you for, and it's hard to argue against that, rightly or wrongly. It's, you make a good point, Philly, though, about the mistakes as well. I do understand that, because you think back over the years, Colleen is probably the best example I can think of, where a referee who generally got the, mistake, uh, the decisions right was very respected by the players. Now, he also handled himself with a quite a strong authority, and he was a very striking person, if you remember, with the bald head and the kind of bulging eyes. But, like, you rarely saw players get in his face because he seemed to have earned that respect from him because he did get a lot of his decisions right, and that does help. I get that. But look, we we've gone off tangent there. I didn't think we'd talk about refs this early. I'm actually I'm actually getting a referee on the podcast. Give them an opportunity to fight back. But um, <laughs> you've mentioned a couple of great teams already across codes across both soccer and, and Gaelic. Obviously, probably you're most well known for your time with the Dublin GA team. So, and you've also mentioned some brilliant names already. So I'm sure you've seen and witnessed, you know, what good leadership looks like. So, you know, could you give us your thoughts on, you know, what jumps out to your mind when you think of, right, who were the good leaders that I worked with and, and what exactly made them good leaders? I don't really have a simple answer to that because um, over my time doing sports performance coaching, it's changed so much, you know, um, particularly when I study leadership, you know, in change rooms and in groups and even in, in corporate settings. You know, you're looking at the complexities of leadership. It's just so broad, like, you know, so what I've come down to is, if I, if I can draw it into as, as tight of a conclusion as possible of what leadership is, you can say a couple of things. You can say, like, obviously, it's a person that competes for a higher purpose than themselves. It's probably somebody that thinks into the future a little bit more. Whatever percentage, 15, 20% of their thoughts go into the future. It's people that do the things outside of the the realm of the group that makes a difference, a text message, a call, a family member's ill, you know, or a visit to that, a visit to that person, whatever that may be, but just that think outside the box, 
that increase their contact hours outside of what they are expected to do because they have a bigger purpose to, to get after. So I think leaders in general, the traits will have loads, they'll have loads of different traits. And it depends on who you are and what you like in a person that you will perceive that person to be a leader. So if you're somebody that is very introverted, quiet, but leads on the pitch, generally you won't probably like that person that's a big leader or captain that screams his head off. But if you're an aggressive type person and you maybe had, let's say, bits of trauma in your life as a child. You might like that person that fights, that, you know, that talks, that's loud, that communicates, that dictates. So leadership is loads of things for me. But if I if, if you're asking, if I was making it simple terms, it's, it depends on who you are and what you like in an individual based off your experiences in life. Well, I like that. That's very interesting, actually. And in terms of you as a player, what what kind of leaders did you respond well to? And and how do you think you were as a leader? I was definitely like aggressive as a leader. You know, I was, um, yeah, I was the guy that was, um, I wanted my teammates to know that I'll have no problem being ruthless and giving you a slap and getting stuck into you. But know that when you're on my team, I'm going to back you up and, you know, I'll have your back all the time, regardless of what it may be, you know. So I could have a row with somebody on the pitch one week in a training session, but he'll know going into a game that I'll feel comfortable that Philly, Philly's on the pitch with me. Really? I'd like to be, I, I would have liked him to be a, a good communicator on the pitch. I think soccer helped me in a way to be a good communicator when I was playing soccer as it, I was the number six when I played. So uh, when I was a kid, like, and um, that really helped me in terms of my spatial awareness and understanding how well I could communicate in games football when the, the, the pitches was facing me as a fullback so that helped me massively and I suppose the leaders that were around me I was very lucky to have such great leaders around me you know um, from players that would talk when they had to from players that would reach out to me uh, before get games like I get a job of marking one of the best forwards in the country against the opposition and I'd get a text message off you know, one or two of the players going, that's a big job, but we have your back. We're, we're, we're going to be backing you up. We'll be in to support you. Knowing that trust is just it's crucial. So it's, um, yeah, leadership has always been, so I've always been surrounded by it, by my family, by my mom, by my dad and my siblings. You know, I've been very lucky. I've been in a, I grew up in a community that there was a huge amount of community activists on the basis of how impoverished my community of Ballymun was and how probably let down it was by government policy over years so it's always been a part of my value set and then to add that get that added value of of uh paying for the dubs was, was crucial i mean that's brilliant and, and, and i think this is probably why myself and yourself have always kind of related I, i'm from fingers down the road so i can very much buy and relate to that mindset um, and it was actually funny i was talking to someone there today and i was talking about self-confidence and always kind of doubting yourself and i think if you grew up in a community where you were always told by those outward of the community that you weren't good enough you develop this self-doubt and that's not always a bad thing because it drives you and it makes you hungry and it also instills this belief in you that well i will outwork or i will outperform whoever i have just to prove those people wrong and i've watched you over the years play from like as you said when you came into the dublin side to when you finished and like your achievements speak for itself but what always struck me is as a leader you you can see your teammates would buy into what you would do do you think your leadership style changed under the managers under the different people or you stepped up in different ways at different times in your career like so i started my career with with pillar caffrey uh 2008 and that was his last year uh 2009 pat gilroy took over 
but I was dropped that season. And I suppose I definitely changed as a player then, you know. So 2008, I went in. I was this player that played wing back for Dublin under 20s, uh, under 21s at that stage. And I was very good going forward, but I played a corner forward when I was a minor, like, you know. So I kind of drifted back. That's how bad I was as a forward. I drifted back in the defence. But um, Pat Gilroy dropped me in 2009 and I went back to my club and I had this energy of hurt that I was just going to take everybody like it was like trophies everybody I marked it was a trophy for me and especially if you were a Dublin player and I got to play for uh, actually Pillar Caffrey then became the the Leinster manager that year in the interprovisional tournament that we had and uh, I was the only player playing for Leinster that wasn't with an inter-county team and I had a chance to go and play in America that, that, that year and I said no I'm going to stay and I'm going to really show what I'm about so the dynamics of that adversity helped me massively build into them when Jim Gavin so obviously won an All-Ireland with Pat Gilroy in 2011 Pat Gilroy would have tried to prod me a little bit on the basis of knowing my background where I came from and that I'd stand up to a challenge you know so that's where my journey started really with kind of nailing down a, a position in the team and then the leadership came along because you can't really be a leader from the get-go you might have leadership traits but yeah. a leader for me is somebody that supports and serves the group yeah. and what happens is when you come into a setting at the start you only become a person that needs to find the surroundings so the way of the way of thinking of it is when you have leaders you have different types of leaders so you have leader of yourself so that's the first step get yourself right you have leader of uh, others which basically means you're starting to find your rhythm in the in the routine. And it might be a player, let's say we're talking about Bowles, it might be a player that's in his fourth season with Bowles, that people are trying to adapt to his personality and they're trying to adapt to each other's and build the chemistry in the group. So, and then it steps up to leaders, uh, leaders of leaders, okay, which is your captain. And then you've got leaders of the organization, which is your manager, okay? So they're the levels of leaders. But I, at 2009, 2010, specifically 2010 when I'm back into the squad, I was only a leader of myself. I need to get myself right. I need to get myself going. And that's not mean that I was selfish or anything like that. It's just I needed to find my space in the change room. And then I suppose when that was a really good year, 2010, then up to 2013 when Jim Gavin came in and Pacquiao stepped away, I really started to kind of get my feet under the table and I started to then find out what worked for me. So the manager would come to me and say, right, we need you to do a job on this fella. And that was me going, if I'm marking that they're top forward, I'm doing something right. So then I started to learn how what was working for me in terms of leadership and what wasn't working for me also. Because sometimes I was very aggressive, like, you know, my communication. So we could be screaming at a wing back in front of me. And because I was aggressive, get back, torn here, back to this, whatever it was. Even when I was complimenting those type of players, they thought I was giving out to them. So I had to learn, hold on a second, your tone has to change here. And I have to approach the guys and say, listen, when I'm calling you, I'm not always giving out to you. I might be calling, calling you to compliment you. I might be calling you to say, hey, listen, just your shape, I can see that can change a little bit. And then all, you know, as the, as the years went on, when you get those things right, you start learning it up and you start looking at then stuff outside of the, 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 you know, how you can help your teammates outside. You look at what other teammates are doing, you go, I like that about him. I'm going to take a little bit of that. And you also look outside the sport and you look at leadership outside the sport and how that can help you also. Oh, fantastic. You've said so many things there that I need to think back on. But I do like, I have been accused of being a bit aggressive in terms of shouting at people in the past. So Mark will attest to that. So um, <laughs> no, it's always meant in 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 a good way. But no, that, you've said some great stuff. I'm, I'm interested. You obviously had an incredibly successful and long spell in a very, very good Dublin side, right? That's... That's a given, and you won lots with them. So I'm curious to know 
what was the team culture like when you first joined? So as you said, you, you walk in the door and you're really just trying to look after yourself. And, and as you said, find your space in that dressing room. So how would you, on reflection now, say the team culture was then? And over the years, did that team culture evolve, you know, in terms of, you know, different managers, did they impact it? Or, or how did you see that culture, you know, over the decade yeah. plus or whatever that you were there? It definitely evolved massively. Um, you could say, unfortunately for Pillar Caffrey, like, you know, some of the stuff he was doing was really good, but it was probably the wrong time for him to do it. Like, so an example would be he had uh, a book and it was basically a diary and you were kind of doing your analysis and you're writing notes in it. And back then in 2008, people, people would have went, oh, that's weird. Dublin players have this book and it's full of secrets and all, like, you know, <laughs> and, uh, yeah. everybody in the, in the country, even football lads now, have diaries where they're taking notes in the classroom and stuff like you know it's an obvious thing to have and for me um you know that's how quickly things evolve whereas back then if somebody let's say uh if somebody was doing something really good for the group now back then it would have been classes of liquors yeah. you know so the timing of when you develop your culture is very crucial like and and back then dublin would have done certain rituals that people would have went Mm, that's kind of going to give us energy as I'm talking about the opposition I know one of the Tyrone players used to talk about when Dublin went to the hill and they were grabbing each other's jerseys going towards the hill Yeah, that they kind of they got energy from that and the amount of stuff that certain players are doing in the media and stuff like that I know there was a there was a psychologist that done a bit of work with us and she was telling us that this was a couple of years later she was telling us that when she was working with the Tyrone team she had all the change room all the news paper clippings all over the place you know, all of those things gives the opposition. So those ritual stuff, uh, certainly Pat Gilroy would have challenged a lot of that stuff. Definitely Jim Gavin would have done that after him as well, you know. So those lads that were there with Pillar Caffrey, you know, a lot of those lads, the struggles and the battles and, the, you know, the the hardship they had over the years. Because you remember, Dublin didn't win an All-Ireland in 16 years before 2011. But that drove us all on. It drove the county board on. It drove the, the club officers on. To really get you know roll up the sleeves and get things going so that was crucial for us to be successful so i think all in all it's it's very important that you know you respect that and that you, you honor that those lads are crucial for us fantastic i'm always fascinated by teams and the dynamics within them in terms of you know one or two people going in and out the door can impact stuff so much and, and i think you're right i think players like I played in the League of Ireland in the 90s, right? If you'd mentioned sports psychology back then, there'd have been something wrong with you. You know, you weren't allowed to talk about your feelings. It was just shut up and get on with it. You know, there was so many things that now we take for granted that younger modern players are treated in such a different way, which I think is a good thing. But I'm just always curious to know, you know, as a player, what is that culture? And and sometimes there's cultures that the three of us mightn't agree with, but they work for a particular group. I'm just always fascinated to learn, you know, being inside the ropes, how do you see the culture wherever you are, whether it's in work, whether it's in sport, even in your own family dynamics, what's the culture of like, Mark talks a lot about language and culture and I love it. And it's had such an impact on me in terms of better understanding how to communicate better with people. So always curious to hear that, interested on that. Yeah, we, we would have had a really good like um, player-centric culture, you know, so that would have been built over years and it would have been passed on to us. And uh, it's certainly something that I wanted to work on with Bowes, you know, uh, in their own way. You know, I, I obviously went in in 2021 to help look at the vulnerabilities within the group because we were kind of stumbling all the time and there was all always 10 players went out in 2021, 10 new players went in. Uh, in the first phase of games, they only won two out of nine. I went in after the, the ninth game and, uh, you know, when we sat down with Keith, 
Long and Trevor Crawley, we were like, right, okay, what's the plan here? And we said, right, over three years, let's first of all get this right first, get the structures right, bring this environment up to the highest possible high performance environment we can. Second year, start to develop a leadership group, uh, an emerging leadership group, and then towards year, make a player centric culture, hand it over to them and wrap around them. But unfortunately, Bohemians was going through a transition where that wasn't going to be possible because if we had a really good year in, in 2021, sure, most of them players were going to move on. Done so well, their contracts were only on one year contracts most of them and um, at that stage Bowes were a club that was feeding club uh, feeding their, their talent into other clubs in, in England and Scotland you know so 2022 came along and it just ripped the whole script up because all of those lads were gone the leaders were gone five in a leadership group every single one of them were gone and, uh, you know mm-hmm. you're building the leadership group you hadn't even really got the emerging re- uh, leadership group ready to go it was just so hard it was extremely hard so we wanted to create a safe psychological space player centric culture and and we probably needed three years to do it but we only got about a year to do it yeah and I think sadly that's that's something echoed in, in clubs all over this country you know the fact that it is very short term you know a lot of players are only on one year contracts it's very difficult to bed down you know three or five year plans because you don't know who's going to be there that's just a harsh reality of League of Ireland but I do think it's something we have to aspire to. You, you mentioned high performance there in one of your answers. I, I think we absolutely have to strive towards a high performance culture. In all our sports in Ireland, we've proven we can be capable. You look at some of our athletes over in the, the World Championships at the moment performing very well, but they're well supported and well resourced. So I'm just curious. I'd argue that. Well, yeah, yeah, that is a fair point. Certain ones are. But um, I'd love to see soccer or football in this country invested in, resourced properly, because there's some brilliant people across all the codes in this country. I've met some amazing sports people in this country. It's interesting you say that, because I think if you look at the one sport where we seem to punch above our weight is the is the sport that has the most income coming to it um, in rugby. So it's no, it's no coincidence that the money is there that's funded through the schools, education, city of the likes of the academies like Leinster, which is by all accounts top class because it's properly funded and resourced. And no one will tell me that we aren't producing the same level of quality young football or soccer players up to a certain age group in Ireland, comparable to the UK. But when we get to 13, 14, the amount of time you get with them, the specialist knowledge, all the stuff that Philly talks about, it isn't done. And even at academy level, which we all have experience of, the access you have to players in a very underpaid, if paid at all role, is ridiculous. And then we wonder why we have the same results. I mean, it's just, it's it wrecks my head. It's the most dangerous thing is, I'm sure we've always done it that way. And we try to tweak it, as you said, three-year plan, or what you have to get there in a year, because we only give people a year's contract. And then we wonder fucking why we have such a disaster of a football team at times and what, what the shit goes on. And then you look at yeah. boxing. We were ages, like boxing, we were doing fantastic. And then, oh no, listen, let's let's not give them as much money as used. Like it just it makes it, it just makes no sense to me, but it seems to be a very urgent thing. We're happy to celebrate mediocrity and have praise for getting out of a group stage, but you know, won't resource properly to go and go to the extra level. And I don't know whether it's a psyche thing with Irish people where we actually don't really want to get to the highest level because we're actually comfortable in this space. And those that do are maybe the exception to the rule. I agree with you, Mark. I think um, there's a few variables that feed into that. You know, obviously soccer is a bigger sport here in Ireland than rugby, so the, the numbers are much bigger. Like you've, you know, you've got a lot of rugby clubs, but you don't really, they don't really uh, disperse out into every community, in particular, in particular provinces. You know, whereas soccer is 
in every kind of well, most communities it's very similar to maybe GAA in terms of you know where where the clubs are and how many clubs there are to to be supported financially. Um, but then you have obviously the situation with the FEI. Generally, when you have got problems at this at the bottom level, I won't say the bottom level, but kind of you know foundations right up the top has to be right. And you have poor leadership at the top; it just filters all the way down yeah. into the structures of of soccer in this country, you know. And I think they're getting the stuff together now, and that's great. But you know what? The teams in in, in this, the clubs in in uh, in Ireland in the Atristi League and Division One League, considering that they've done unbelievably well, yeah. unbelievable, and they've been striving for higher levels of uh, quality on the pitch, off the pitch, their stadiums, and it's just. So hard, they're you know they're they're up, up, uphill battle. Nearly out of stubbornness that they're actually doing well. Yeah, and it kind of it kind of pulls them together really a lot, doesn't it? Like it, you know, you see, you know, there's a lot of clubs out there that are rivals, but at the end of the day, they're when the the grand scheme of things, they're supporters of the league in the country, you know, that way, and, and they've been very strong kind of supporters of it. No matter what club you're you're from, bar maybe one or two, <laughs> that'll never get. <laughs> but for me, and you've worked in both of them. <laughs> probably both of them, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I just think um, for for soccer in this country, there's a lot more that can be done. I think there's a lot more things that can be challenged. Like we've got a lot of problems at underage in terms of our structures. Particularly from the ages of under 15s to 17s is a really difficult time. It should be a, a really good time for young players to develop, but it's actually probably the worst structure to help them develop because we've got a lot of kids that are really good, let's say, playing National League at age 13, but maybe physically don't develop from 13 and 14 and probably don't get that chance to play National League because of their physical uh, attributes at 15. And some of them go off and play game football and some of them go off and, and completely give up the sport. So we've got a, like a hole between under 15s to 17s and it's based on physical profiling. That's something that, certainly, that's a starting point for me that they need to look at. There's so many kids in limbo. I think there's 250 kids every year gets caught in the hole and they might go off and play Thinking people will say, well, what's what's the what's the harm not uh, playing non national league? Like you know, going back to the schoolboy clubs, but then they they'll they drop probably the levels of their of their capabilities because they're technically very good and they could play from 15 to 17. So they probably technically could play at that level. The game IQ, so. You know, the tactically they could play at that level, but the physical attributes are holding them back. So it's, it's a great point, and it's a, it's a serious problem in this country. We could talk about the woes of football, but I want to I want to touch base on another thing. If you don't mind, Philly, like I mean, your own personal journey you've documented quite well. Your book and everything else, and um, and the work that you do in your community and the social programs. It's something I think that um, the modern athlete um, has a huge opportunity to change and also to, to portray that positive the reason program that you did there um in Mount Joy and everything else I think was it was was phenomenal um and I highlighted something very different that um that, that that you do as well. Can you talk to us a little bit about your social programs and what what's your drive to do that and why you do it? Um, and I know you're a Bally boy and it's not as simple as just it's because it's where I'm from. There must be something inside you that's a bit more that drives that because it's not easy. Well a huge amount of it is because I'm from Bally So it is it is where I'm from it's where I started the journey of I suppose self-growth and you know what else I can do to help you know help people in um in, in from my area or, or you know that need that support so I suppose the real issue is around my brother John you know having a, a problem with addiction and, and passing away at the age of 31 and coming an activist over time after that and I suppose the, the easy way of putting it is if, if John 
on was alive today and there was a sporting person doing these things, I would be hugely grateful for it, you know. So having that energy and giving that to others is what I have developed in terms of a purpose in life, you know. And it didn't just happen overnight. It was something that, you know, after after a good bit of exposure to my brother's issues, um, when he you know, 2015, 16, I started speaking about John and his, his issues with addiction and, and he passed in 2012. Then people started to come to me and I started to impact others. And, and then I kind of started to challenge, you know what, you can have all the money you want in the world. You can have all the things you want, the materialistic things. But at the end of the day, when you're dead and gone, people will remember you for what you've done, especially for people that are vulnerable, people that, you know, that are probably being let down a little bit, you know, or have started off on the wrong foot, have made mistakes. So for me, looked at John's kind of life and said, right, okay, where if John was alive today and you go all the way back to when he first started to engage or disengage, let's say, societally standards, society, society standards, what could you do, Philly, to impact that? And if there's a young John out there or a young girl out there, how could you, you know, make a difference? And I suppose that's what I'm doing right now. I set up a charity for at-risk youths and that's called Halftime Talk. It's an educational program that uses sport and business to impact people's direction in life. And then I do me, me work in Mount Joy Prison. So that's the really the opposite end of the spectrum. You know, there's three parts. There's the early intervention, there's the at-risk youths, and then there's prison and prisoners. So... I've got two parts running here and I'm actually doing a research project soon enough that'll hopefully help the force part, which is the which is the prevention part. So I'm also involved in the Citizens Assembly as an advisory member, which is a huge part to helping people that are struggling with addiction or people that are kind of experimenting with drugs in the country. So hopefully big changes are coming there from the recommendations. Because you can do all the work you want in these areas, but when you have people being discriminated or stigmatized on the basis of let's say self-medicating for their, their trauma they might have, well then no matter what work you do you're just you know going to get by that brick wall you know brilliant absolutely brilliant and we need more people like you doing stuff like that myself and mark are around youth football a long time there's a serious problem with gambling addiction amongst yeah. younger kids at the moment and I, I see it and i hear it all too often they're all betting on sport far too regularly they're obsessed with knowing the odds on games stuff like that and i think they need to be educated more so i know john your brothers was drugs there's drink there's there's gambling there's so many things but certainly i i worry about the gambling one uh, i know we spoke to gareth farley in the past about it it's a big problem in the uk as well mm. and a lot of these gambling companies are muscling in on clubs and sponsoring events and it's everywhere and it, it's very accessible to young players I had, a re I had a gambling company recently on to me to be an ambassador and they were offering me crazy money to be an ambassador. So they're doing things really smartly, like, you know, they're asking and, and they might, that might be ethically seen as something positive in the direction that, you look, let's get someone that's an activist in the area of addiction to try be the face of making sure that you're, you're gambling responsibly. But for me, it's like a drug dealer coming to me and saying, say it's all right to take me drugs and just, just take it, you know, responsibly. <laughs> Doesn't. Oh man. Music, you know even the fact that they given your background and what you stand for and what the work you're doing the fact that they even talk to approach you just shows that you know they don't really give a shit they'll go and just target whatever they have just to grow their brand and you know to me that's that's just so vulgar that you know someone like yourself that talks and acts and does all that work to still go and even approach you just really they don't really give a shit it's about money. Extremely yeah. dangerous from the top level all the way down to the, the age group users are dealing with. Like you know, mm -hmm. it is it is seeping in a lot, and it's it's a hidden it's a hidden addiction. You know, it's it's yeah. comes out eventually, but comes out eventually when it's probably too late. You know, and yeah. I don't think as a country in all sports we're doing enough. You know, I don't think we're doing enough at all when it comes to gambling, and it is. 
and I, I you know I love the campaign show race and the red card. I think it's a really good campaign around racism and it's a very uh, collective type campaign. So and I think that's something that's needed in, in the gambling section of, of sport. I think there needs to be Ireland need to be kind of an outlier in, in getting all the sports together to say, okay, we, we can't accept this anymore. Our young people are being trapped in this area and some people will say well look it's up to the individual but it's never like that it's, it's never you know you could have some sort of a disconnection with a parent a trauma when you're a child anything and when something comes in that's exciting as betting or drugs or any you know there's, yeah. there's social media gambling now there's pornography there's loads of different things once you fill that void you're you're trapped you're a big inspiration to us so obviously so many people like who's inspired you with obviously your family and all that a huge input yeah. but in the kind of coaching and the sporting world, who's been a big inspiration to you over the years that's helped you develop into the person you've been? Yeah, as you said, Mark, like a lot of my family were my inspiration and still are today. My wife, my son's an inspiration now when he's only 18 months old. I'm I'm that weird person that gets inspired very easily. But uh, sporting wise, you know, I've got I've got sporting inspirations throughout my career. Paddy Christie was my first, I suppose, from a Gaelic football point of view. You know, um, he definitely had a huge impact on where I got to in life and in in sport and outside of sport also had impacted. And then I've had inspirations that I've just come across that became mentors for me, like you know. And, and one that we all know is probably Trevor Crawley. Look, you know, for me, a really good, you know, leader in the, in the game and soccer in this country. And I really hope he gets to the levels where this country can benefit from his expertise, you know. So for me, you know, I'll give you a story. One day we, we were walking across, we were walking for Rovers at the time. And we were walking across the pitch. I was playing for Dublin. Sorry, I was playing for my club. So when you play for your club, you go back to, you go back to your, your county when your club is out. So if you win the Dublin Championship, you keep going. You win the Leinster Championship, you keep going. It's changed now, but you generally played it, played it the the next season on Paddy's Day. This is what it was in 2012. So 2013, we got beaten in the All Ireland final by Bally Munkickums. Got beaten in the All Ireland final. Went back to Dublin. I was working with Rovers at the time, and I struggled to. I was struggling to get back in the team. And I spoke to Jim Gavin. I was like, "Listen, I'm flying. I'm moving really well. Why am I back in the team?" And he was like, "Look, the fella in front of you is doing really well. If you were there." I wouldn't expect for you to, you know, be dropped and him to come straight in if you're moving well. And I remember Trevor coming over to me in, and in one of the training sessions and he said to me, look, Philly, what's the story? Are you all right? Your energy's a bit flat. And I was like, oh, no, I'm okay. And he says, come on, we go on a walk. And we walked across the box. Tell me exactly what's going on. We were walking across the box and at, when we got to one side, he already said to me, he said, how many times did you say either? I said, don't know. He said, he said, he said about 32 times. He said, what does that tell you? I said, they're probably a bit selfish in terms of this. He says, you're thinking of yourself. He said, I think you need to look at going back to, to Jim Gavin and saying, listen, I'm probably being a bit selfish on the back end of Ballymun Kickums and now I need to be more focused on the team. And I went back to Jim and I said that to him and Jim said, look, that, I appreciate that. You know, that you've self-reflected on where you are and just be ready. And in the All-Ireland semi-final, 20 minutes in, Kerry had scored, like James O'Donoghue, I think it was, had scored 1-2 on the player that I was, that was in my position. 20 minutes in, I was brought onto the pitch and, and then I came on, done my job and played in an All-Ireland final. And all I really wanted that season was to walk around that parade first. That meant, that meant I was going to start. And that was crucial for me. So Trevor was the key instigator in that happening for me, you know. And I've I've worked with him ever since, you know. I'm just he's just one of those fellas that you can he listens really well to you, and then you you know you can take a lot of information in from him as well, you know. So from a soccer point of view, definitely him. Excellent. So, yeah. no, I, listen, we know Trevor of old, and I love 
when you meet Trevor, regardless of the context, whatever club you're with, whether you've won, they've won, he's always happy to talk about football. And I like talking football to him because we don't always agree, but I like the fact that he's always knowledgeable. He always knows and can put a context into what he's trying to explain to you. And I, I always appreciate that. And somebody, I only met him recently, in fact, and, and said something like what you've just said. He's a guy that's worth knowing and worth chatting to because like he has some unbelievable experience and knowledge. So yeah, you're right. I think Irish football could do a, a lot more with the Trevor Crawleys of this world. I'm conscious of your time, right? So we're, we're coming to the, the last question before we jump into your five-a-side team. And I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing that. But uh, is there anything, Philly, you know, you're around a long time now as as player, coach, mentor, you, you have a number of hats. Um, is there anything that you know now that you, you wish you knew 10 years ago? I suppose the crucial thing for me was that 10 years ago, you thought you could control everything. You know, you were young, you were okay with, let's say, underperforming in games and stuff like that. Um, you probably didn't really think about others as much. And I suppose um, from a sporting perspective, you would have definitely... That with that maturity, you would have realized that really sport is about people and it's about experiences. And from year to year, you know, you hear people saying it doesn't last forever and time waits for nobody and all that, but you don't really appreciate that. You yeah. know, you don't really appreciate when sport ends and how much you really should re- take it and grab it by the scruff while you got a time, while you got the time. And, uh, and this is a quote from Trevor Crawley who, who got it off somebody else. He, he loves to quote, get busy living. Yeah. Get busy living. So for me, I don't fear death, but I, I would fear not doing the things that uh, I want to do in life for my purpose in life and whatever else in business and relationships and social work and all. I would fear not achieving those things and taking them boxes off before I leave the planet, you know? Excellent. Well, I, I certainly love think... That. Absolutely love that. Yeah. Having listened to you, you're certainly well on the way to achieving those things and more. Didn't mention his two dogs as his inspiration. Yeah. <laughs> Who are the two dogs? dogs we love dogs. Two chow chows. You go, Mello. Oh, excellent. <laughs> I, I've Actually, I'm surprised. Mar- Marlo is normally on the bed here next to me when we're recording, <laughs> but he's off for a wander. So, uh, now listen, mate, It's it's been fascinating. Mark has, you know, been at me for months to get you on. And in fairness, it's been a, an amazing chat. And I, I'd love to chat to you some more and keep in touch with you. But certainly, I appreciate your time, conscious of your time. But nobody leaves the show without giving us their dream fantasy five-a-side team, Philly. So uh, it's entirely up to you who makes it. So who gets on your your dream fantasy team, Philly? I'm going to do I'm gonna do something probably that maybe someone has done it before. But I'm going to mix it up with different sports people, if that's all right. Oh, that's a first. I'm going to mix that's it. A first. So I'm going to go, like, it was between goalkeepers wise. I'm an Everton fan, and one of the best keepers. Has, has to be Big Nev. Has to be. South Hall. But I'm going to mix it up and go with Stephen Cluxon and head of Neville South Hall. I can give you that. Yeah. Oh, that, that's a good show. It's pulling aside good. as well, so you probably knew Bart Neville South Hall, like, you know. I'm going to go, so... I don't know what formation playing here, though. Just pick another four outfield. Oh, it's whatever. your teammate. Do whatever you want. Right. Okay. I'm gonna go with Seamus Coleman. Nice. Right. I'm gonna go with Seamus. The toffee in you is coming yeah, out. Coming out of me now. I'm gonna go with Paul O'Connell as a centre half. <laughs> right. You're not getting by him. Imagine him. Imagine no. Really. Imagine playing a five-a-side with him and he's standing in front of the goal. Like you're not getting by him, are you? He'll hit you and a belt in anyway if you go by him. Right? 
So you've got Seamus Conn on one side, like a like a dog, running around everything. And then you've got Paul O'Connell, who's like a beast there holding the defence, right? And then I need a creative midfielder. So everybody will go with like a Barcelona player, Barcelona player and all that, right? But I'm going to go with... See, there's a few Dublin lads there, but I'm, I'm thinking like they can't play football. Like, you know what I mean? Like, Steam <laughs> do, they, do they fancy themselves as footballers? And by, by the way, Paul O'Connell probably doesn't play football either, but like, so he doesn't have to. Team. Paul O'Connell can do whatever he wants. <laughs> yeah. The best midfielder that I loved at Everton was Tommy Gravison. Oh, well, yeah. I loved Tommy Gravison. Loved, loved the way he passed the ball, and he was a lunatic, yeah, as well. So, Kevin Kilban was telling me a story that in training they used to at, at Halloween time they used to go in with like rocket launchers of fireworks <laughs> across the training pitch. He was that crazy, right? Okay, I'm gonna go with Duncan Ferguson up top. Oh, big Duncan! So you can you can tell that like my team is gonna be a team of enforcers, right? <laughs> we, we probably won't score much, but we bait everybody else. I'm obviously gonna go with Messi. <laughs> Hang on, that's obvious. It's five. It's five. So Messi. Messi's the only player with Duncan Ferguson that's got, that's going to be able to. So I've got four. That's four, yeah. No, Duncan you've Ferguson. got five now. That Messi's on the bench. So no, no, no Cluxton, Coleman, O'Connell, Gravison, Big Dunk. That's no, four. I'm not going with Gravison. I'm going with Messi. Oh, Gravison's gone. Yeah, Gravison's gone for Messi. If I ever heard a five-a-side team modelled on a certain player's own style of football, that's it. <laughs> well, listen, Messi. <laughs> Has the most protective yeah. team that you can possibly put together. That you look messy and the secret service around them. <laughs> <laughs> Would you fancy yourself having a little run around with that, lot? Oh, I'd love it. Jeez, love to play with them boys. But what's your position, by the way, in in soccer? Uh, six or right four. Ooh, okay, bit of a breaker, breaker upper. Yeah, just stick in front of the back four. Don't move. Nice. Well, look, that that's a that's a super side. So we've got Clucko and there, uh, Coleman. O'Connell, Messi, and Messi and Big Dunk. I never thought I'd hear them in the same thing. That that's oh, they'd be unbelievable together. Fantastic. Well, listen, Philly, that's that's a fantastic way to end our chat. It's been and I can't believe an hour has shot by. We could talk for days on some of the stuff you started scratching the surface on there. Really, really do appreciate your time and uh, wish you nothing but continued success. Certainly, I know Mark's a big fan and has been for a long time. You have a new fan. We'll keep in touch in terms of what you're doing. If we can help in any way, you know, with the work you do, both in terms of sport and your social programs, happy to help me. But um, look, thank you very much and all the very best for your future. Thanks very much, guys. Thanks for having me on. Thanks a lot. It's war chest time. So, Mark, what have you got for us? Uh, or what do you recommend to us uh, this week? Well, you think just because I was on holidays, I would have read loads of books and everything else. But no, I just watched too much NFL and college football <laughs> and uh, uh, listened to a couple of But a couple of things I did watch. I watched that documentary on Mark Cavendish on Netflix, The Bicycle, The Cyclist. A very interesting, very, very interesting. Warts and all, doesn't hold any punches. Um, I would have an I would have had an opinion of Mark Cavendish. This probably reinforced it in some ways, but also explains it. Right. And if you talk about a relentless approach and you talk about someone who's just a winner, it's incredible to watch. And also how what I loved about it, it takes it from the very early years to where he is now. 
and we've spoken about this on the pod a lot of times about how those at the very top of their game deal with when they're coming towards the end so that, that's it's a really good watch it's very enjoyable there's lots of stuff in that you would take and I'm sure even as coaches you could relate to in his journey so yeah really really good watch so I've enjoyed that one of the things I have started reading again and I use it an awful lot on a daily basis in my own job and in what I do is uh, Simon Stenick's uh, book Start With White I, I, I love what he uh, he talks about this thing as the golden, golden circle and we've discussed this a lot of the time but his book Start With White it's, he's one of the most incredible thinkers and he's influenced me and all enormously in what I've done in sport and in business and even in life and he talks about the most successful companies know what they do how they do the very very best know why they do it and I would encourage people to even start thinking and having those kind of questions even with players coaches and themselves about why they read things because if you find out why you do it then it's not a chore it'll also it'll make you evaluate and realise what you value so much and what you hold dear and how you shouldn't sacrifice and like we were talking about earlier on off, off air about your standards and your values that you hold for yourself and how you shouldn't shouldn't bend them for anybody. So yeah, that that, that book uh, started the way it was really, really good. And that's really it. Just that's that's the two recommendations I have come up. I've also just on the whole sidebar, I know if anybody has Disney Plus or one of those, watch the bear. If you want to see what kitchens and what, what what's like, it's excellent to watch. It's really, really good. I mean, why I'm watching that, it's not to do with sport, but lots of stuff in the back and people can actually pick up it's called the bear it's about this guy who moves back to chicago takes over from his brother and um, his restaurant that was failing and what he does with it very very good watch yeah I, i'll check that out actually because i've seen it come up recommended and i haven't just clicked on it yet so yeah good recommendations mate two quick things myself and uh, one sport related one not you mentioned there about players coming to the end of their time and it's interesting how they all cope with that because it can be a struggle for some there's an amazing documentary out there and i cannot think of the name of it so you'll go and have to get the old google search going about the old wwf as it was then or wwe as it is now whatever wrestlers who retire and it's it's, oh man it's quite tragic you see these guys who spend their days and nights you know going around putting on wrestling shows and their bodies are literally at the point of just breaking down and they're still doing it because it's all they know and they're addicted to drugs a lot of them they're addicted to alcohol just to keep themselves going it's a really good watch but it's a tough watch and if you're a a person of a certain age you'll remember lots of these people from back in the 90s and early 2000s and to see how their kind of lives both professionally and personally end up has, has been difficult so yeah definitely check that out and speaking of people of a certain vintage like yourself and myself Mark the mature Gent, I was recommended a book uh, there recently and I've just started it. It's called Outlive the Science and Art of Longevity. It's by a guy called Dr. Peter Attia. And I'm not going to say too much more about it, but it is fascinating. It's just how as you get later in life, you have to start navigating your way around what he calls the four horsemen. And it's cancer, it's dementia, it's muscle problems, it's heart attacks, it's stuff like that. And it's just a very, very interesting uh, listen or read. And just the way he talks, it's in very plain language and it's not anything radical in terms of going on some crazy fad diet or anything. It really is just how you have to kind of understand that a lot of these things, you know, happen over time. So your defense against them has to happen over time. So very, very interesting. So that's Outlive, The Science and Art of Longevity. Dr. Peter Atian. Jeez, man, that's brilliant. Loads of good stuff to check out there. So, um, yeah, look, I'm off to uh, read a book while watching the Ryder Cup. Thanks very much. That's it, folks. The end of season four, episode eight. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. 
A very special and heartfelt thanks to Philip McMahon for joining us tonight. Such an insightful chat with lots of great takeaways. We wish you nothing but continued success, mate. Huge thanks to the supporters of our new squad initiative. We had the second squad session last week. It was brilliant to chat with so many open-minded coaches just about the beautiful game and all things coaching. If you haven't already, check it out. The next squad session get-together will be towards the end of October. We'll be back next month with some more chat and discussion. Get in touch with us on Twitter at Coaching Badges. Stay safe and remember, when it comes to coaching, there's no right or wrong way, but there's always a better way.